Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwald, and welcome to the Dispatch Podcast from the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Uh, bad news for you. Uh, Steve and Sarah were not able to be here this week. They were snowed in uh, with the abominable snowman far from reach of Zoom. Uh, so too bad for you. The good news is that joining us this week is my friend and really one of the smartest and most insightful political analysts of our time, Josh Crosshour. Uh, he is of National Journal. He has his Against the Grain podcast. He is definitely worth listening to. Uh, we're going to brush over the January 6th stuff, the midterms. We're going to do some fearless forecasting. We're going to talk about all of those things. It is most definitely worth listening to. So please enjoy. Josh, my friend, thank you for doing this. Welcome, welcome. It's great to be uh, on the Dispatch podcast. Great to be back with you, Chris, on on uh, media in, in, in any any media platform. Any medium, and we'll take what we can get. It's a, it's a a crunchy, freezy, snowy day uh, here in our nation's capital. So good to be zooming with you. Um, you are the best at um. You have a gimlet eye. You're able to crack through a lot of the encrusted ice of conventional wisdom and thinking. Uh, you call it against the grain, but it is a gimlet eye. It is you can you can pierce through. One of the things that you have pierced through to see is that Joe Biden has still some pretty unique opportunities to reframe the political debate and remake his future, but he does not seem to be willing to avail himself of these chances to find a, if you'll pardon the term, a third way. Um, I watched this week in utter amazement as the school teachers in the University of, or the, at the city of Chicago went out on strike. And as of this recording, at least, not Biden, not anybody that I have really noticed not in a big national way has condemned what these teachers are doing to the students of Chicago to go on, on strike right now over uh, Omicron. How, how should they and why aren't they? Well, first of all, thanks for that, that, that nice introduction, Chris. The, the spin does stop with the, the against the grain column, <laughs> That's so to right. speak. Uh, patented, you, you're taking that back from O'Reilly. I understand. Yeah, so sorry, sorry, Bill. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you, you bring up a really important point, and it, it's part of a pattern that I've, you know, in my reporting and my, my analysis, it, it's been consistent over the first year of, of, of Joe Biden's presidency, which is he's been in the middle. He, he's been seen as this kind of a moderate-minded uh, guy. He has the ability to kind of fit, fit, fit the center of the party, but he is unwilling or unable to challenge the most strident extremes within the party. You can look at, you know, Build Back Better when the White House was clearly unwilling to challenge Pramila Jayapal and members of the squad in order to get the infrastructure bill passed at a timely manner. That, that was clearly, like what was taking months and months to get infrastructure passed was that they were, you know, showing far too much deference to the squad or, or even just, just more broadly to the progressives in the party. You know, Biden had the opportunity at the beginning of his presidency to have a pared back stimulus emergency COVID measure, get some Republicans on board, get the moderates, 
show that he's at least living up to that inauguration promise of you know working together with with Republicans. And instead, he goes max one point nine trillion, does it on a partisan basis, poisons the well, gets done, and may have, you know potentially is causing some of this inflation that we're seeing now. You know, and, and then you know most recently on COVID, and this is uh, one of the the this kind of relates to education and the schools. Um, you know, the, the Omicron thankfully is is uh, clearly widespread, uh, not as serious, thankfully. Um, and a lot of uh, certainly Republicans are already there, and, and even some notable Democrats. Uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams. I, I interviewed uh, Governor Polis, Jared Polis, in Colorado during the holiday, uh, who's basically taking a position: get vaccinated, get on with your life. Like let's not, let's not do these mask mandates and regulations. Let's just get back to normal. It's working for him. But you know, Biden again on, on an issue where he could be benefiting himself politically is unwilling to challenge this left flank that you know in this case it's the you know parts of the public health bureaucracy some some progressives on Twitter that would go crazy if, if if he started to go in that direction. So you talk about the schools, that's the most like obvious play where you yeah, have ask Glenn Youngkin. You ask Glenn Youngkin. You have everyone from Nicole Hannah Jones to you know Rich Lowry saying this is crazy. The Chicago Teachers Union is going way too far in shutting down schools uh, for, for for hundreds of thousands of kids in Chicago, and yet the most Biden or Jen Psaki or anyone in this administration, education secretary, can do is be like, you know, we, we we support schools being open. Yeah, it'd be nice to have have schools open. We, we our administration supports that. Well, that's not enough. Like that the the playbook for Biden always should have been, I am at least challenging. The, the far left, at least showing I'm not one of those guys. And he has been instead appeasing that that flank. I was struck on January 6th. Uh, Biden's speech, I thought, was especially grading on a Biden curve. Quite good, right? Uh, it was forceful, but also inclusive. He was not demonizing Republicans in general. He took he was hard on Trump, but uh, had grace notes in there. I thought that on a on a, a, a on a Biden scale, that was an, a, a solid A of a Biden kind of speech. And then I noted Kamala Harris was the opposite, um, and she was uh, dour and dark, and it was wrong. Like she, her political instincts were wrong. I assume and this may be cynicism on my part, but I see a lot of this through the prism of 2024. Uh, Joe Biden sounded like a guy who wanted to run, right? And that that uh, his opposition to Donald Trump is the animating thing in, his politi- in, in this last chapter of his political life. Being against Donald Trump really does seem to animate him. Um, Harris, though, what's her problem? Is she, I guess, may- maybe the simple answer is, she is she who considered herself once a darling of the left or a woman of the left doesn't feel that she is is on solid footing with those with those kinds of voters going into 2024 is that right well look as far as the january 6 speeches went it looked like biden outsourced the part the most partisan stuff to to, to the vice president okay she so he, oh maybe so so you think it could have been by design like you take this i'll take the i'll, I'll be the good cop you be the bad cop i mean i think that's I don't know if it's smart politics. I think that's what Harris wants to be. She, okay. she you know, her, her MO, whether you think it's right, I think it's wrong, but her MO has been as vice president to play to the left, to win over the left, to try to take the lead on the voting rights, you know, activism, to take the lead on where progressives are. Uh, she's done a, you know, I think a very 
uneven at best job of handling those things in her portfolio. But uh, that has been where she seems most comfortable. So they, it did seem like the White House pawned off that to her. I mean, the, the, you know, the lot, a lot of attention is being paid to her comparison of January 6th to 9-11. And um, as usual, and, and Josh, you are, yeah, as usual, Josh, you are uh, more uh, generous of spirit than I am. I'm over here being, I'm small. I'm, I'm, I'm being small. You're being, you're being uh, large hearted. Well, you know, I, I should, I probably need to be because I've been pretty tough on the vice president um, in my columns, but um, in my Twitter feed. But uh, well, she does stink at being vice president. There is no question that she is bad at this, right? I don't think anybody. I, I don't even. I, I think her strongest supporter would say that she has missed. Now they might say it's Joe Biden's fault. They might say that it's unfair. They might say that it is racism and sexism. But no one, no one would say that she's killing it, right? Well, look, and I think um, if, I, if I was advising her, and they never would hire me, probably. But uh, you know, the, I, you know, I'd tell her to take, you know, get go get to the middle of, of, of try to position yourself for twenty twenty four by you know joining the San Francisco mayor London Breed, a, a progressive Democrat, and calling out the extremism on, on law and order issues and crime in um, San Francisco in the Bay Area. Some of these DAs that have alienated even the Democrats in these very liberal cities. That that's a way to show that you're you're different. That and and look, she was a she was a prosecutor. She that was sort of the rub on her in a Democratic primary. Um it does seem like her true sentiments are with the left, though, not and that was maybe more political back then when she had to deal with a different political environment back in twenty ten. I I would think if I am Donald Trump, uh Kamala Harris is the Democratic nominee I would most want to face in 2024, right? Uh, you've got some of the, you got a woman uh, identified with the left. You have uh, allegations of misconduct. You have the kind, the the Hillary Clinton package is really intact with Kamala Harris. Um, the is Is that right? Do you think that's true? Yeah, I mean... I always say, look at the back of a politician's baseball card, their win-loss record, their stats, their performance on the job. That that pretty much can predict the future. Um, and with Harris, you know, she, we, we've talked about this a long time ago, but like she, she barely won in California for her state AG race in, in one of the bluest states in the country. It was a really close race. She didn't even run against a Republican in her Senate race. Like she ran against another Democrat and, and even had some, some bad press during that race, uh, as easy as it was. And then, you know, obviously she didn't even make it to Iowa in the presidential primary when she was considered one of the after, after a rock'em sock'em great start, big rally, all of the Obama or many of the Obama people lining up behind her, her turning into the 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 sort of um, soft front runner. Uh, the, 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 she, the, Obama, the Harris is Obama parallelism was so strong. Uh, and everywhere in the press, she got all this favorable coverage and she still sucked. Well, and that's the problem with identity politics because it, politicians are a lot more, that's part of it, but, but there's a lot more to a politician than just surface characteristics. And I think people made that comparison and, and realized that it wasn't a really effective comparison because she doesn't have Obama's political skills. She doesn't have, because good politicians like Obama get it. They, they understand where the voters are. They understand where the middle of the road is. Um, even if they, you know, if they want to govern in a direction, they still need to be conscious about where the voters are and they speak in a way that can get their agenda done, but by doing both things. Um, 
and 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 Harris never had that. I mean, the whole and we could go. I don't want to go too much into her her presidential campaign, but like just the fact that she didn't have an answer on health care, or she didn't have a follow. Well, she had she had several she had several answers on health care. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. That, these are my positions. If you don't like them, I have others. Okay, my forecast right now would be that in November the Republicans are on track to win something like 31 or 32 seats if the election were held today. And, that, and that's just based off of extrapolating uh, the Virginia and New Jersey uh, shift from four years earlier uh, and looking at special elections. So the Republicans aren't in the kind of position that they were in 2010 because they already won back some of the seats from 2018 and 2020. Their surprise performance uh, in 2020 picking up seats uh, they were, um, it was sort of cash for clunkers. They were cashing in some seats uh, that they were probably going to get back in uh, 2022 anyway. Uh, but even accounting for that, there's still 30 or so seats that look pretty good for Republicans just um, looking at uh, national numbers. The Senate obviously is a much lower correlation uh, between the midterm curse and control of the Senate, though I will point out every Democratic president since Lyndon Johnson uh, has has had at least the net loss of one Senate seat uh, in their first midterm. So, and that would be enough to give the Senate to Republicans. Um, let's game it out. Well, first of all, do you think my assessment is correct? Please say yes. Yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, <laughs> sure. We we still have to wait for some of these in the House. We have to wait for some to- of these maps to come through. To- totally, in totally. States, New York floor. So th- that 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 aside, here's a stat for you, um, because I think a lot of people get get lost in the numbers. You mentioned about 30, 31 seats, and I think that's a very reasonable guess. If Republicans, I think, win 36, 37 seats, they will have more House seats than at any time since the late nineteen twenties. Like that is not just a good year. Because people, they're different baselines, obviously, at different points in, 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 in you know, cycles. That would be like an all-time high if, if, if the number got to the mid-30s. So that's how close, Repub- that's how good the environment is for Republicans right now. Um, I, 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 have, I do agree with you. I have a hard time thinking that the economy, the COVID situation is going to dramatically change by the time November gets around. Perceptions tend to get baked in the spring and summer of the, of the election year. Um, so yeah, I think you know my number would pro- uh, maybe I think twenty five to thirty would be my my ballpark right now. Um, but I think yeah, I think this could be a, like a historically good year for for Republicans. Uh, but it also uh, might not. The Republicans have uh, substantial liabilities. They have uh, Donald Trump running around like a gorilla, uh, bonking people on the head uh, and uh, doing that stuff. The I'm sure that if Kevin McCarthy could just put all of his craziest members into suspended animation for the next six, eight months and say, there is no Marjorie Taylor Greene. There is no Matt Gates. Don't worry about that. Uh, if he could shut Ted Cruz up, who's going around talking about impeaching Biden, if those things. Uh, so the, the Republicans could certainly attrit their advantage and the economy could get better, right? And I think we are certainly on track for Americans learning to ignore coronavirus. I think we are, we are, we are, the, the uh, Omicron variant has made it possible for Americans to increasingly say, I don't care what the CDC says. We're going, I'm, I'm going to work. I'm going about my life. Like I'm doing it. The, the low, the lower mortality rates make that possible in a way that wasn't true uh, with Delta and the, and the OG. Um, 
here's my premise. If Republicans have the kind of historic year that you uh, described, 35, 36 seats, uh, life is pretty good for the GOP because most of the members who come in will be from moderate districts. They'll be from swing districts. By definition, when you get a bunch of new members, you're going to get people who are from places that are swing. And sw- people who represent swing districts tend to be more moderate. It's just the, it is just the way it is. Um, so if Kevin McCarthy gets reinforcements from the suburbs of Southern California, Texas, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and gets these folks to come in, that helps him out substantially. There's another scenario, which is the Republicans get 12 seats or 15 seats. And in that case, do we see Kevin McCarthy captive to the Freedom Caucus? So to your last question, yeah, that's the worst case scenario for Kevin McCarthy, because not only does he have a narrow majority, but he's facing the same situation Pelosi's facing now, and that he he's held hostage. He's going to probably get the votes for Speaker in that scenario, but he'll be held hostage to the most crazy, radical whims of, of the freedom. And, and, and more, more specifically, like just the seven or eight members who are just out there and saying things that are just nonsensical on a daily basis. Um, you know, I, just to go, go one step back, you know, the, the, the midterm election is to me a clash between whether Republicans can get past Trumpism and, and I, I shouldn't say Trumpism, it's just just the the worst of the, the most, you know, the denial of election results, the past, the, the craziness. The, can, can they get candidates? Can they move beyond that? Can they kind of tiptoe around that um, enough to win in, in, in a good environment for the party? Or are the Democrats also captured by their left flank? There are, you know, people aren't paying a lot of attention to this, but in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, they've got the opposite. I mean, they have the same issue Republicans do, where they have, you know, in Pennsylvania, you've got Connor Lamb, who I think is a very good candidate, uh, you know, swing state congressman, center left, battle tested, but he's losing in the polls to a very left wing Bernie uh, kind of interesting uh, lieutenant governor uh, in, in John Fetterman. Um that's a race where the, the Democratic nominee could decide who, who wins that thing. Wisconsin is a race that doesn't get a lot of attention for the Senate. Everyone talks about Ron Johnson, and I, it sounds like he's going to run again for another term. We'll see. But, uh, you know, Mandela Barnes is, is, is the front runner there, the lieutenant governor as well. And he's on record as saying a lot of things that are far to the left of where your average swing voter is in Wisconsin, in this political environment especially. So, you know, th- there's a lot of that. And I, I, I must admit, I'm kind of befuddled. Like, yes, the economy could get better. Yes. COVID, we could go back to normal by the time November rolls around. I I am befuddled that Senate Majority Leader Schumer, you know, it's kind of like the Kenny Rogers song, The Gambler. He doesn't know when to hold them and he doesn't know when to fold them. And he's pushing through voting rights, which is a niche issue for a bunch of activists and people who watch too much cable news. And he's pushing, you know, BBB when Manchin keeps telling him in an episode of Groundhog Day for the last few months, it's like, (laughs) <laughs> we're going to do there's encouraging signs that Joe Manchin's going to vote for a pared back version of BBB. And then Joe Manchin is interviewed. And he's like, no, I'm not going I'm to not. do that. Yeah. 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 Why don't you want to, I mean, I don't understand why Democrats don't want to move on and focus on getting past COVID focusing it, on what voters it, say they care about. Is this a phenomenon? And I think this is at least partly to blame in both parties. And you're right. They are, uh, they differ in intensity. I think, I think the crazy caucus is bigger inside the Republican Party, but the pressures are similar uh, in both parties. The I, th- I think one of the factors here is the over-interpretation of the power and salience of radical voters by leaders in both parties, right? 
Chuck Schumer acts like he is about to get primaried by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez at any moment. Chuck Schumer acts like he is just terribly, terribly vulnerable. You know, we watched Mitch McConnell go through how many cycles in a row, at least three cycles in a row. This is the year Mitch McConnell is going down in Kentucky. He got primaried. He got whatever. He did not act like Schumer's acting now, uh, which is terrified. Chuck Schumer acts totally terrified. Nancy Pelosi uh, definitely has some problems with dealing with the captivity with the left. But at least she scares them a little bit. At least there is at least there is a thought on the squad and others like this lady might make it stick. She plays hardball. Uh, T- Tommy Delisandra's da- daughter definitely knows how to make it stick when she says she's going to get you. Uh, is this Twitter's fault? Is this the fault? What what causes this this over interpret? Why why are Kevin McCarthy and Chuck Schumer acting like the craziest people in America are running their parties? Well, it's a great question. That is sort of the fundamental question of our politics. Now, I, 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 I've argued that like Republicans actually do have something of a crazy base. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Their voters, like if you look at the polls, we, 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 you know, seventy percent of Republican voters think you know that was hanky panky in the last election, right? So, like that is that is the challenge Republicans face. Like they're they're trying to. They, you know, more conversations I have with Republican operatives are like, yeah, we need to figure out a way to tiptoe around that 70 percent and kind of find some middle ground to, just, you know, to do what Glenn Youngkin did or to do what even some of the other candidates are where they're saying nice things about Trump, but they're moving away from the craziest stuff. But that, that, that overdid window keeps on getting crazier and crazier. So I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. if it's really working uh, on the Democratic side. What befuddles me as someone who's kind of watching politics like sports and what you're, you're not wondering, you're wondering what the coach is doing. You know, you're wondering what, what the calls are or why these calls are being made the way they are, because the Democratic Party has a moderate, uh, you know, pragmatic faction. It's, it's a majority of the party in some states. It is it is not like the Republican Party where they need a kowtow to the crazies. But their problem is sort of a, it's like a, a funhouse mirror problem where the, you're right, Twitter makes it seem like these very left activists have a lot more sway than they actually do. And I think there's also a donor problem. Like the, the don't, we, we've been seeing, there was a great piece in the New York Times this week by Tom Etzel about um, the amount of money that foundations are literally like creating creating bureaucracies of, of left-wing operatives that are forcing the party to take these really, really out of the, the mainstream positions on issues like crime, on issues like education. And th- this, is the, this is the phenomenon uh, that uh, the former Democratic data guy whose name I'm blanking on right now. Yeah, sure, David Shore, David Shore. David so. Shore, this is, this is the David Shore problem that he identified uh, that he said was, was the issue. Um, we, we need to wrap up here, but my, I guess my question for you is this, how concerned are you about the actual execution, not the outcome, but the actual execution of the midterm elections? I have some concerns, right? So I, I have some concerns that there is a bi- that because of a bipartisan belief that our system is irreparably broken or that there are these that democracy is in danger at every turn uh that we could see some cracks emerge this fall uh as we try to count votes and try to get the election undertaken how concerned should people be about that part 
Look, if there's a, I mean, look, what scares me the most is is that you just hear state legislators on the right that that, that are basically, you know, trying to to say things and do things that are factually not true, and and, and they're, you know, these these measures aren't going anywhere. So I, I'm maybe not, maybe I'm not quite as concerned as you are because I think there's a lot. Of I don't problems. know how concerned I am. I'm asking you to tell me whether or not to be concerned. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, I'm more concerned about 2024 uh, yeah, sure. more than the midterms. Uh, Ultimately, like we saw in 2020, other than Trump, all the Republicans and Democrats pretty much conceded their races and, and even the close ones. There was a, a, a consensus there. So I think this is a Trump issue and, and a Trump issue uh, like these. But I don't think it, it really makes up a, a, that, that big a share of, of, of you know, candidates and, and, and people on the ground in, in, in these big races. Um, you know, like and, and I think the bigger problem this is. On a, I think the bigger problem for for Democrats is that the way the environment is looking right now, they're not going to be close races. You know, like they, they're going to need to, um, you know, there's not isn't going to be. A, we're not going to be counting, you know, House seats, or we're not going to be counting, you know, ballots in a close race that determines the House majority. It's probably going to be uh, decided by a much more decisive margin. So, you know, just the way things are looking environmentally probably means we're going to escape a lot of these um, so these issues at least for the time being. There's your headline. Josh does not care about the health of democracy he turns a blind he turns a blind eye to the existential threat to the american republic all right fine i guess so it'd be that well, way getting, i mean i mean look I, it, I i i'm in like the middle ground of saying like these there, there's a real problem that needs to be addressed and you know i think that there's a bipart you know what's encouraging is you have a bipartisan group of senators i don't know if this is going to go anywhere but they're actually dealing with two things that are really important when it comes to the this the, the the credibility and the sacredness of our democracy they're uh, trying to basically prevent these these rogue state uh, legislators from essentially usurping when it comes to uh, you know trying to usurp the actual results from, from the electoral vote count act officials. people yeah and, that, that, and there's also the and, and there's also the the issue of uh, you know I, I, the one proposal that's kind of interesting that I've heard is that you may have to have more than just one senator and one representative declare an objection to, to create a whole level of chaos in Congress which is what happened in 2020 so I hope those measures. Uh, really get bipartisan support. I hope Democrats come to the table and say we don't. It may not be everything we want, but but these are some important, significant measures that could go a long way. And I hope Republicans realize that you can challenge. You know, you don't need to. You don't need to make this all about Trump, and you can actually do some some low level reforms that can mean mean a whole lot. For As you've all have said the other day, if you can't come up with an election reform package that can get Mitt Romney's vote, are you really trying? Are you really trying? Uh, Josh, you're always trying to do good work for uh, your readers and listeners to your great podcast. I, uh, uh, If I were on Twitter, I would recommend Hotline Josh to all, uh, but find and consume Josh Crosshour wherever you can because he is smart, excellent, patriotic, and perspicacious. Definitely do that. Thanks, brother, for being with us. Thanks, Chris.
And we'll take a quick break to hear from Aura. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. And I'll tell you, not only have I given this picture frame to all the moms in my life, but I'm an only child and it's been really fun to see my friends with siblings give this frame to their moms and it turn into a passive aggressive war to see which siblings can upload more pictures of their children. The Aura app is so easy. You can sit there at the end of the day while you're watching TV and just upload a couple pictures from the day and really show your brother-in-law who's boss. From grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, and even the friends in your life, every mom loves an Aura frame. Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code DISPATCH at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 